Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, November the 24th, 2023. I've been away a few days, away from the San Francisco Bay Area, of course, last week. San Francisco was transformed by the APEC summit, the Chinese premier, Joe Biden, were in town. Um, and when we talk about transformation, uh, San Francisco was, or it seemed to be, literally transformed. Its streets were stripped, if that's the right word, of, of homeless people. And, and San Francisco was tidied up as the world observed it, all the local media. And it's still talking about the nature of the San Francisco streets, particularly in terms of homelessness uh, in a post-APEC world. Um, everybody's asking whether the cleanup will last or whether it was a temporary facelift. Uh, one um, one uh, media outlet suggests that uh, San Francisco has already, this is a few days after uh, APEC, reverted to its old gross self, if that's the right way of describing it, full of homeless people. Um, lots of uh, response from the homeless people themselves who argue that they themselves were cleared from the streets. San Francisco became a Potemkin village, perhaps, uh, when the world watched it. Now the world's eyes are no longer on San Francisco. It's gone back to its old ways, particularly defined by its homelessness. One man who knows all too well about um, San Francisco's homeless crisis, as well as the general politics and culture of homelessness in America, is my guest today. Uh, Kevin F. Adler is the CEO, founder of an important uh, nonprofit, Miracle Messages, designed to help homeless people, reconnecting families, rebuilding lives. And he's also uh, the co-author of a new book, out this week. When we walk by forgotten humanity, broken systems, and the role we can each play in ending homelessness in America. Uh, Kevin is joining us from over the bay in Sausalito. Uh, Kevin, happy Thanksgiving. Um, what's your take on what happened in San Francisco uh, during and after OPEC, uh, not OPEC, APEC? What does it tell us about uh, the and I and I use these words carefully. The crisis of homelessness in in the Bay Area. Yeah. No. Thanks for having me. And it's uh, you know you mentioned it's gone. The city's gone back to its old ways. I, I would say that it's the same old, same old. Even during APEC, uh, you know, when folks experiencing homelessness aren't uh, offered any kind of long term solution uh, to their situation. Uh, whether it's brushed aside in a couple blocks or not, uh, you're still in crisis mode. Uh, so perhaps it's a more visible uh, now in a few neighborhoods than it was for you know a brief week. Uh, but uh, you know unless the city uh, you know fundamentally changes some of its approach uh, to dealing with homelessness, then it's it's just going to continue to be the human rights crises on our street. So, is there a particular? tastelessness to what happened during APEC where uh, the city literally cleaned its streets. Some people would suggest that if it can do it for a week when 
Biden and Xi shows up, why can't it do it all the time? Well, I guess the question is, what has it done? You know, I mean, it, yes, it, it can displace people, you know, to the outskirts. But again, that's that's not a long term solution. Um, you know, I've been in the city long enough. I remember when the uh, the Super Bowl was in town, uh, some of the parades, uh, Golden State Warriors, you know, winning a few championships. Uh, the same thing happens anytime there's a major event. Um, you know, I, I I don't think of it. I think of it as reflective of some of the problems, not just in San Francisco, but nationwide on this issue. You know, we fundamentally treated people experiencing homelessness as problems to be solved, not people to be loved. Uh, we see people on the streets as problems. And unless we get to a place where we not only see, but get to know each person as that's someone's son or daughter, brother, or sister, someone's beloved uncle, uh, you know, our policies and our approaches are going to reflect that uh, where, you know, one out of every two cities uh, make it illegal to be homeless, you know, anti-camping, anti-sleeping, anti-loitering, anti-feeding, where people have been arrested for feeding other unhoused neighbors. So it, it, it's to me uh, nothing new. Um, and, and it's also not particular to San Francisco. You know, it's easy to bash on a city like San Francisco, which in some ways is so uh, emblematic of the homelessness crisis. Uh, I, I look at San Francisco much more of a, as a canary in the coal mine uh, when it comes to our, our nationwide approach to, uh, to addressing homelessness. Kevin, I just spent a, a few days in New Zealand. And one of the astonishing things about New Zealand, it's an astonishing country, is there seems almost an absence of homelessness. My daughter's uh, doing a semester overseas. Uh, and I asked her and she said, yeah, it barely exists. Uh, you talk about this canary in the coal mine of San Francisco. Is America itself a canary in a coal mine when it comes to homelessness in the world? Or is it just an exception? Is it different from every other country in the world? Yeah, on this one, we're pretty unique. It's not that we're an N of one. Uh, there's certainly other countries uh, at my nonprofit Miracle Messages, uh, which, you know, we help people experiencing homelessness rebuild their social support systems, their financial security. We do so through family reunification services, a phone buddy program with volunteers and, and basic income pilot. But, you know, we have folks around the world, uh, you know, Germany and the UK, New Zealand, Australia, as well as, uh, you know, in North Africa, uh, we've had folks in the Middle East sign up, uh, you know, Latin America, Chile, um, because I think they see versions of homelessness and human displacement in their own communities. So uh, I think what's unique in the United States is we're, we have an affordable housing crisis that is uh, so off base from the wealth of this nation. Uh, there's a current need for uh, you know, a nationwide housing shortage, for about 7 million affordable housing units to meet current demand. Uh, in the th over 3,000 counties in the United States, there's not a single county where a hardworking person working full-time at minimum wage can afford the median price for a two-bedroom apartment and there's only less than 1% of counties where that same hardworking individual working full time at a, you know, a minimum wage job could afford a one bedroom apartment. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a housing crisis, but it's, it's more than a housing crisis at this point, uh, because we do see homelessness intersect 
with so many broken systems in our society, you know, foster care system as one example, one out of every three kids, young people, youth who age out of foster care, by the time they're 26 years old, will have experienced homelessness. And that number goes up to 60% for African-American youth. Uh, so this is an intersectional crisis of our time, but it also requires our, our, you know, our humanity to see our unhoused neighbors as neighbors rather than as problems. One of the things I like about the new book, Kevin, when we walk by, you're the co-author with um, uh, Donald Burns, is you get into the numbers and uh, the numbers are astonishing. I mean, you suggest that on any given day, there are around 6 million homeless people in America. That's somewhere between 1% and 2% of Americans. Explain how you got to that number and, and why these numbers are so controversial and hard to put your finger on. Yeah, yeah. Six million uh, will experience homelessness or do experience homelessness over the course of the year. Uh, so, you know, the, the gold standard, uh, gold standard's the wrong word, the current status quo, which is far from the gold standard, uh, is using the HUD, uh, uh, Department of Homeless or Housing and Urban Development, uh, you know, Federal Department on Homelessness and, and Housing. And, you know, uh, so the, their standard is uh, the point in time counts. So imagine, you know, one cold night in January every year, uh, canvassers, you know, mostly volunteers will literally go out into the streets, into, you know, shelters with clipboards, you know, maybe some of them have mobile apps, but the ones I've been to are clipboards and you're counting people, you know, one by one. And, and, you know, you see someone in a tent, you know, you're not necessarily knocking. You're like, ah, maybe there's one person in there. Ah, it seems like a two person tent, right? Like it's, it's that imprecise. And then, you know, cumulatively, that that's that's the figure that uh, that the um, the nation uses. Which, you know, I believe uh, the most recent point in time count it's somewhere around five hundred and eighty-two thousand, uh, give or take. You know, call it about six hundred thousand. Uh, so that's a starting point. But uh, under HUD definition, um, individuals who are doubled up or tripled up. Uh, with perhaps a loved one, uh, you know, families, oftentimes uh, mothers who are with children, maybe doubling up, tripling up with friends, other family members, so don't have a place of their own, uh, but they're staying, you know, indoors somewhere, but it's in a shared accommodation. That those numbers are not counted under the HUD definition, but they are under the Department of Education definition. Um, and you know, not to get too much in the weeds, but then you're looking at. Uh, you know, school-aged children who may not be counted uh, otherwise in the HUD numbers, uh, and then, you know, uh, children under the age of five, which is a very invisible but large segment of the homeless population. Uh, so adding all that together, you get closer to about six million uh, over the course of the year. So we are speaking with Kevin F. Adler, the co-author of When We Walk By, an important new book on homelessness in America. Uh, Kevin, how does those six million break down? I mean, in, in terms of the types of homelessness, uh, I, one of the one of the stories, of course, and one of the themes in your book are, are, are the different kinds of homelessness. Whether people are living on the street, we always associate it with San Francisco and people living on the street in tents. But of course, there's different kinds of homelessness, particularly living out of your car. And what about staying in people's friends' homes, relatives' homes? Is that counted as homelessness in your, in your, in your calculation? 
Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think what you're bringing up as a really important point on this issue is we think of homelessness often as a monolith. You know, it, it's kind of yes or no, black or white, like, you know, and, and often that monolith when it's yes, it's a very visceral, you know, limited image of what we think of as a person experiencing homelessness. You know, we closed our eyes. Most people would probably think of, okay, well, maybe a, is it a panhandler, maybe an individual, probably a, a man, uh, you know, at a street corner or maybe an intent encampment, right, on the streets. And it turns out that that is uh, a very visible but relative minority of people experiencing homelessness nationwide. Uh, you know, about one in three uh, individuals experiencing homelessness are children. Uh, many families are experiencing homelessness, you know, mothers, fathers with a child doubled up, tripled up, invisible, staying in a car, uh, staying with relatives. Uh, so I think what's important in this conversation is, as you're suggesting, getting past the monolith, uh, because I think that perpetuates a type of us versus them mentality. You know, we, we assume we see the entirety and it's it's painful to see. I mean, it's it's abject suffering on the streets. But what we miss is the broader spectrum of housing instability in this country. You know, we're, we're living right now at a moment where one out of every two Americans uh, are a paycheck away from not being able to pay rent. And 47% of people in this country, in the United States of America, say that they self-report not knowing where they'd get $400, you know, for an unexpected emergency. And so... When you hear numbers like that, about one in two Americans paycheck away from not being able to pay rent, you almost have to ask a different question that almost never gets asked, which is, why aren't tens of millions of people homeless? Yeah, I was thinking that, that, right? that, that actually the six million number is, if, if you put it in those terms, is, is quite low, given that job insecurity um, is, is so dramatic. 100%. And, and I think that number being real, I mean, it's, you know, in some sense, it's way, way too high, we shouldn't have one or 2% of the population experiencing homelessness. But to your point, it's low. And I think that's a testament to what is making up the difference for 10s of millions of people for half the country right now from falling over the edge into homelessness, which is family, friends, community, church, synagogue, mosque, informal economy, it's social capital. And so for, for folks who have either lost that or who never had it, or where perhaps family was part of the problem, not part of the solution, or the family was just, you know, the support system so economically depressed that they're in the one and two, you know, folks paycheck away, they can't do much for the individual. If you don't have that or you've lost that, um, it can be incredibly difficult to stay housed to, to prevent homelessness. And similarly, for individuals who are experiencing homelessness without social support, what I call in the book relational poverty as a form of poverty. If, if, if they are isolated, lonely, disconnected, and you know, accompanied by a stigma and shame that is so common around homelessness, it can make forming nurturing relationships incredibly difficult. You know, uh, you go to church, you're not a, a random member of the congregation, you're not a newcomer, you're a person experiencing homelessness in church. Otherwise, you have to blend in. And try to hide this part of your identity and then you know you're not having open conversation 
Um, and, and so it's it's important to uh, you know to to look at how social supports and other factors are acting as a buffer right now from half the country falling into homelessness. And when you think about that and we think about solutions, they have to be factored in as well. I'm going to talk about solutions after the break. I also want to note that uh, Kevin and I will be doing a live event on Monday at uh, Green Apple Books in San Francisco. We'll be talking about some of these themes and other themes. You'll have the opportunity to meet Kevin, get your book signed, and ask questions about this all-important subject. I also want to thank um, people who are bringing us, helping bring us this high-quality content, great authors like Kevin Adler, um, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. I'm going to run a, a short feature on Liberties, and then we'll be back to talk with Kevin, not just about the crisis of homelessness in America, but uh, how we can and should fix it. So don't go away, anyone. We'll be back in a few seconds. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are speaking with Kevin Adler, the co-author of When We Walk By, an important new book on homelessness in America. Kevin, it's one of the few things that Americans, all Americans agree on. 80% of Americans agree that there's a housing crisis in America. Uh, a homelessness crisis. So what are we going to do about it? What are the, the fixes from your point of view? How do we address it? And what's the, the point of the book? Yeah, we all agree that uh, there's uh, both a housing crisis and a homelessness crisis. Uh, but when push comes to shove, uh, I think many of us are reluctant to embrace the kind of housing developments in our communities that are needed. Uh, and we can't have both. We have to pick one. Uh, we can either choose to have the homelessness crisis that we have and then maybe limit the amount of housing or we can say you know maybe that duplex that triplex that uh, navigation center that tiny home village uh down the street uh, around the corner a few blocks away maybe you know that's not such a bad thing and uh when we actually look at the evidence of when people experiencing homelessness go from being your unhoused neighbors to your house neighbors uh, you know, property values don't plummet, crime and safety don't skyrocket. Uh, so I think getting to know really that uh, our unhoused neighbors, that the, the, the biggest threat that they pose, uh, that, that, that is faced is by our unhoused neighbors themselves by living on the streets. You know, the average life expectancy for an unhoused individual uh, was about 30 years less than if they had housing. Um, and again, these aren't people who are moving from elsewhere to, you know, take over and, 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 you know, choose to cause chaos. Uh, you know, recent reports have found that in California, 80 to 90% of the people who are experiencing homelessness in California are from California. Uh, and in the Bay area, it's somewhere seven, upwards of 70% of people who are unhoused in the Bay area from the Bay area were once housed in the Bay area. Uh, so I think there's, you know, a, a need to build more housing. Um, it doesn't need to happen. Uh, we don't need to solve the homelessness crisis uh, single-handedly on one person's block. Uh, you know, it, it has to be shared between communities. It's much more of a 
a regional uh, and, and statewide nationwide problem than a you know city by city problem. Um, but I think, as I argue in, in the book, when we walk by, you know, there's another facet beyond the systems that need to be fixed. Uh, there's also a need to really look in the mirror and uh, think about how we interact with our unhoused neighbors. You know, a common question that I ask and, and start a lot of my talks with, I'll say, you know, raise your hand if you care about the issue of homelessness. And as, as you, you know, referenced, almost everyone raises their hand. It's, it's not a trick question, right? And then the second question is, well, you know, raise your hand if you know someone who's currently experiencing homelessness, you know, as a friend or as a family member. And never more than about 5% to 10% of people raise their hand on that second question. And, you know, in, in, in as uh, gentle a way as I know how, I, I say, you know, that's, that's part of the problem is we don't know who they are. Uh, we're talking about an abstraction and a kind of us and them. And, uh, you know, for me, my, my uncle was homeless for 30 years. You know, he lived on the streets of Santa Cruz. And um, it wasn't, you know, until after he passed away that I started thinking, gosh, everyone I'm walking by, that's someone's son or daughter, or someone's brother or sister, or some kid's beloved uncle. And it, it, was, it took me, you know, for my own compassion to get to a place where I imagined and, and thought of each person as that this could be my uncle. And I think for all of us, we, we each need someone um, who we can no more walk away from than we can walk away from someone that, you know, we love. Um, and, you know, the book title is very uh, intentional. Uh, you know, when when we walk by. It's a book about homelessness, but, but it's really a book about us as housed people uh, and our relationship with our unhoused neighbors or lack thereof. So, uh, you know, in terms of solutions, uh, getting to know our unhoused neighbors as neighbors, uh, ways we can do that is uh, through my nonprofit Miracle Messages is one avenue. Uh, we have a, a phone buddy program called Miracle Friends, where volunteers around the world, anywhere, you know, folks are listening to this program, watching this program, 20 minutes, 30 minutes a week, one-to-one uh, -one phone calls, text messages with unhoused neighbors, uh, kind of like a big brothers, big sisters type program. And we do mentoring, uh, we have weekly support calls, there's a call log, so if there's any issue, you can log it, caseworker, social worker, or one of our staff members follows up. Uh, and then there's a, you know, a partnership that we have with Dialpad where um, a person doesn't need to reveal their personal device number. They can download the mobile app and use a Dialpad phone number or Google Voice as well. Uh, so that's you know, one tangible way where we have about 350 pairs around the world that uh, have calls and texts every week. And we currently have a wait list of unhoused individuals who have raised their hand, you know, courageously and said, I, I need someone to talk to. I'm alone. I'm isolated. Uh, we don't have enough volunteers for that. Uh, so that's one avenue and, you know, visiting local uh, shelters, soup kitchens, uh, having conversations with folks on your way to school, work, um, and, and maybe, you know, engaging in stories and, uh, you know, like the book that I wrote, but there's lots of good content on, online where you can get to know stories of your unhoused neighbors that way too. What about the role of drugs and alcohol in all this? This is another very controversial subject, Kevin. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if you're, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the book by uh, another Bay Area writer, Michael Schellenberger, mm -hmm. uh, San Francisco, Why Progressives Ruin Cities. Uh, perhaps one of 
you might be criticizing people like yourself. Mm. He, he argues in the book, it's an interesting book, that, and a controversial book, but a successful one. It's mm -hmm. a lot of readers uh, that many of the homeless people, particularly in the Bay Area, have drug and alcohol problem and for one reason or other have chosen to be homeless. What's your take on this very controversial subject? Yeah, I, I think um, it's. Uh, I, I, I think there there's some elements of truth to the failures of progressive policies on the drug crisis. Right? Um, it's it's fair, somewhat self evident that you walk down the street in San Francisco and you're confronted with. Uh, you know, dystopian scenes of, uh, you know, I mean, we're not just talking about people experiencing homelessness who have addiction issues, which, you know, is a, is a disease, right? Like it's, it's, you know, it's a medical diagnosis. Uh, we have, uh, you know, serious drug dealing that's happening and, and seemingly very little done to, um, to, to quell it. So uh, I, I wouldn't, go so far as to say, well, it's a, you know, this is San Francisco and it's a drug crisis and that's the big issue. It, it fundamentally is a housing crisis, but when people are unhoused, um, they are very susceptible to all sorts of things. And, and, you know, it's a traumatizing state to be on the streets. Uh, it's very, uh, e e easy and, and probably needed to figure out ways to self-medicate, to numb the pain, uh, just cause it's, you know, such an awful experience. Um, and, and what we see as the visible manifestation of homelessness as it relates to the drug crisis is, is actually a relatively small percentage of the overall uh, in, you know, number of individuals and families experiencing homelessness. Um, but what I will say uh, is in one aspect of my book that uh, may be uh, a bit controversial in some circles is I do talk about the, uh, the need for limited uh, involuntary holds. Uh, an involuntary treatment. Um, you know, it's it's something that cannot be talked about lightly. It's it's not like just throw it around, round them up, and you know, put them in a institution. We we know that uh, we don't want to go back to one flew over, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. But uh, I think we're way far on the other side of the spectrum right now, uh, where people are living and dying on the streets, not getting any kind of help treatment. Uh, the people who are the biggest proponents of some kind of limited, uh, you know, treatment and, and hospitalization and holds are, are the family members and loved ones of the individuals who are living and dying on the streets because they know it's no quality of life for the person. The rub, though, where, you know, the rubber meets the road, it's, it's one thing to, you know, say that and get all the headlines and do the, you know, talk shows. It's another to say, well, OK, great. So you have. A limited role of this will, you know, let's make sure that all other options have been tried, that we are balancing treatment and uh, safety and health and wellness with considerations of autonomy and agency. Uh, have every other options been tried? Is the person a harm to themselves or to others, you know, or both? Um, and most importantly, you know, with all of this, well, what happens next? Because uh, right now, you know, folks are going into hospitals, uh, emergency rooms. My, my partner is, uh, you know, emergency medicine physician. She sees some of the same folks every week at various hospitals that she's working at. Um, are they being discharged to the streets? You know, do we have, are we funding the kind of recovery programs, housing programs, 
wraparound services, treatment, supportive housing that's needed. You know, so I, I think it's it's again, it's it's beyond just the headlines. But I do think uh, there's a massive, I mean, there's a massive crisis on the streets. It needs to be dealt with, and unfortunately, that is what is taking up almost all of the oxygen and energy around this issue to the point where we have a very, very visible minority of folks experiencing homelessness and it needs compassion, needs treatment, needs support. And then there's a larger invisible majority of individuals and families experiencing homelessness. And there's very little conversation about what their experiences are like. So. Well, that's end, Kevin. I'm looking forward to our live event next Monday, Monday, uh, November the 27th, uh, a live keen on uh, with Kevin at Green Apple Books in San Francisco. I hope uh, some of our listeners will show up. Um, Kevin, how do we deal with this in policy terms? You talk about the issue of humanity, which I take, although it seems a little vague that humanity is broken, that may be true, but I'm not sure how you fix that. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also talk about the breaking of social services and you talk about the history of this. You talk about uh, Bill Clinton's slashing of public housing, for example. How do we begin to rebuild social services? Maybe you could end with a couple of very concrete issues, maybe something to do with uh policy or even minimum wage where would you begin and realistically i mean you can dream and in america on the brink of perhaps another uh, trump presidency that may not be realistic where can we start here realistically yeah well uh i, I think right now we're spending anywhere between 40 to eighty thousand dollars per unhoused person per year to maintain someone who's unsheltered on the streets for a year. And that's in police, fire, emergency services, sanitation, shelter system. Uh, you know, my view is that that's uh, money that's very poorly spent uh, and it's not helping our communities. It's not helping our unhoused neighbors uh, get off the streets. So I would uh, take that money uh, and, and also look at other programs that aren't working and invest more in housing, as we talked about. I think there's ways to uh, develop housing at lower construction costs, uh, you know, container uh, uh, container ships and uh, modular housing, 3D printing of housing, uh, tiny homes, uh, you know, have, I, I think the question on housing often that doesn't get asked is, is this a unit that you or I would want to live in? Um, and, you know, after the 1906 earthquake, uh, we were in a city at that time of 400,000 uh, people in San Francisco, 250,000 were displaced by the earthquake. And within two years, everyone got housed. And it wasn't that people were building, you know, mansions and pack heights, but people built, you know, tiny homes, uh, you know, scattershot housing, uh, paid $2 a month uh, towards the $50 cost uh, of the housing unit. And, uh, you know, once it was paid off, moved it into uh, you know, a different neighborhood in San Francisco. So uh, I think we can learn from uh, how you know, large numbers of people in the past have been uh, housed at, at scale, uh, building housing of all different types. Um, you know, I think other systems that we can look at, uh, there's a revolving door right now between the criminal justice system and homelessness. Uh, there's very little that's done around discharge planning uh, where someone has served whatever time they're in behind bars and then they're essentially discharged to a Greyhound station with a few dollars in their name and, and maybe at, uh, you know, in a city or community where they haven't been before. Uh, foster care, 
Uh, right now, the uh, you know number of people who are aging out of foster care is you know quite high. We could increase the uh, age of uh, when when folks uh, when young people uh, are able to stay in foster care, maybe from 18 to 21. Some folks have even said as high as 24. Uh, so I think there's some very tangible things we can do on a systems level. The minimum wage, as you mentioned, talk about having a housing wage uh, where folks can actually afford the housing units in their area. But I do want to just, as I close, say it, 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 the humanity parts to me are the starting point of this work uh, because we haven't fixed this yet. And, and you almost have to ask, well, why haven't we? It's hard, but do we care enough? Do we get to know the stories, the situations of the folks on the street? So it's not to say that you know we all need to just hug each other, kumbaya, and suddenly homelessness is fixed and we're friends. I think it's getting to know our unhoused neighbors as neighbors, seeing where our policies do not reflect the dignity and humanity of those individuals, and then advocating for the kind of change that we're, we're needing to solve this crisis.